0: About it, but how are you just feeling with the election and how our city and world will be in the next few months? Um, I really just don't want to think about it. I've been thinking about it a lot. And if it goes how it's looking, it's going to go right now. What I'm very, very happy about is America's daughters. Thank you to see a woman vice president. We've never seen that in American history. Okay, I don't want. I don't want to right? talk politics. Right? I don't want to talk politics. Have we had a vice president woman, Ramona? that's an objective fact let's let's have a nice evening I don't want to talk politics I don't <laughs>
1: Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Cara Berry, Real Housewives of New York and Beverly Hills Edition. Uh, Now is the time for radical transparency. And I felt, I have to admit, in watching this episode of Roni, the first time I felt exhausted. I felt like, I don't really want to talk about this. What do we talk about? How do I navigate this? This, that, and the third. Here's the thing, you guys. Like, yeah, I have a podcast. I have a platform. I talk about my feelings and try to um, translate my feelings and try to, especially in these seasons, be sort of like a... (laughs) Um, you know, like an in-between between between what is happening on the show and my personal experience as a Black woman and what that is like. And in watching New York, I was just like, damn, I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) I feel tired. I feel tired. And there have been such a range of uh, opinions and emotions regarding Ebony and Ramona and how what happened at the Harlem night and I just feel like maybe I, I'm i just a little bit tapped out you guys like I don't I just don't <laughs> I am having a hard time like I'm, I'm you know there's times where we just need to, to be like you know listen I maybe do not have the education to talk about this. I have the education from my personal experience. Do I have the um, ability to translate that and communicate to that properly on this platform? I'm not sure. I, you know, when I think that's okay, I was a little bit afraid to say that. But then I think, why? You know, like, I, we should live in a world in which we are allowed to say, hey, I may not be capable or I may not have the tools to really break this down in a way that I think is helpful to and moves the conversation forward. Um, like I said, there were a lot of opinions. Um, I did watch a clip from an interview that Ebony had did, done earlier this week with The Breakfast Club. And she was asked about white fragility. And what was the best way to deal with white fragility while keeping your mental and emotional state of mind intact? And Ebony says that this was something, a lesson that she learned a little bit further into filming than she would have preferred. But basically what she says is that there were times where she had to check herself and there were times of discomfort and she realized that like her discomfort is a visceral reaction to the discomfort of the white people around her when it comes to tackling these important issues of race. She says that you have to divorce yourself from the idea of like white people being uncomfortable. And she says that she really just had to realize like, i don't need to have my mind so focused on white people's discomfort because truly like trying to cater to what white people might be comfortable with in terms of race has gotten us nowhere i mean and frankly it's probably gotten us to where we are now right so i i like that she said that i think it really brought into perspective where she was coming from in this episode and watching it back having seen that clip i'm like okay i get it now i can understand how you might think that based on what i'm saying that i disagreed with ebony and what she did this episode and i don't (laughs) i really don't i think she i you know like would i have wanted to go to a party and like or would i have wanted to go to what i thought was a party and you know what happened happened uh it probably would not have been like the most fun you know (laughs) Especially if I thought we were going to have this like, you know, like old school Harlem Renaissance type of night, speakeasy, smoky lounge, good food type of thing. And I get there and it's like, oh, OK. You know, <laughs> you know, but but I, I understood what's happening. Another thing that's happening here is that, like there's so many layers, right? Another thing is like. Because we're diversifying these franchises, there are going to have to be moments where it's not just a seamless transition as it would be if you brought in another white lady, right? You're going to have to have these moments it countered with the fact that like what the country was going through had to have multiplied that. Would we have seen these same things and these same conversations happening had George Floyd not died had we not had the awful summer of you know reckoning and protesting that we had would you know who's to say with the election who's to say you know what would have happened in a different time in a you know if if they had had a real housewife of New York if they had, had the first real housewife in New York in the Obama administration like you know I think we would be having very different conversations The thing that really concerns me, not even talking about the episode yet. The thing that really concerns me is that I feel like people are putting the onus on Ebony for the season, not being good in their eyes by their standards. And that really sucks because I think Ebony is doing the right thing. Um, Is it, Maybe in this one episode, maybe a little bit like, oh, you know, we could have lightened it up a little bit. Sure. But I think that Ebony is doing the necessary thing. And sometimes the necessary thing isn't going to be fun. Sorry. Like, and I, you know, I think there will be a time where she's like, okay, you know, you know, (laughs) and we can take a moment back and like really enjoy and figure out what this light is like as a cast. Um... I'm rambling. I, I'm rambling. So seven minutes of me saying that I'm feeling very conflicted about this episode. I guess now would be the time to talk about it, right? So, like I said, Ebony was like, "Here's I'm having a Harlem Nights party. I want to get these ladies out of their upper east side bubble." Um, They did ask, not all the other women, but Lee, Luann. Ramona and Sonia what their experience is like with Harlem I thought it was very interesting that they didn't either they didn't ask Leah or they didn't show her because I think they really want Leah to be this you know a woke I have friends of every, like, I just feel like, that I would, I would have liked to see the answer to Leah's experience with Harlem. Do you go to Harlem? So for those of you who don't know, I think it's very important. Like for those of you who are not New Yorkers, as a New Yorker, let me like peep you on to some game as to like, what it really is like, specifically like living in Manhattan, right? Because, you know, Sonia and... Uh Ramona and both were like, "Yeah, you know Sonia says i re- you know i I just have like a little bit of experience in Harlem, like you know it's not really my thing. I'm kind of just within a five block radius, and if it's any farther than that, like if I can't walk, then you know I need a car or something like that. um Luanne says, you know she used to live on the upper West side with Jacques, and so they would go up to Harlem all the time and they would have fun nights there and she I- i'm a- I'm a fan of Harlem. <laughs> thank you. Ha- Harlem, thanks. I don't live in Harlem, guys, but <laughs> Harlem, I'm sure is, is so grateful to Luann Dillops for being a fan of, of them. Um, out, <laughs> after the century plus of, of of incredible arts and entertainment, and it, thank you. Thank you, Luanne. Um, Ramona, of course, was like, you know, I've never been. Now, this is fucking wild. Now, she says, you know, they've been all saying, well, not they all, Sonia and basically Ramona, said you know, people really just kind of stick to their own neighborhoods and they don't really go outside. And that is true to a certain extent. I mean, I think I'm also quite a bit younger than them. And I also have a job that, uh, you know, requires that I'm all over different parts of Manhattan, different parts, different neighborhoods in any given day. Right. So I personally, like, I don't have that experience of like, oh, I I don't know what it's like to not be in another neighborhoods other than the one I'm in. Um, I really think that the Upper East Side is an enclave. It's a very, like, small community. Their Upper East Side... To me, there are, like, two Upper East Sides. There's, like, their 60s, you know, East 60s Upper East Side, and then there's, like, the 80s and 90s Upper East Side, which I think is, like, slightly more liberal. It's a little bit less hoity-toity. I will say it is true that, like, usually if you live uptown, you're probably not going to be all that motivated to go downtown and vice versa, just because it's a trek, you know, you're reliant on the subway most of the time or, you know, the lift charges of surcharge, up whatever. (laughs) i'm rambling here the point is like are they right in the fact that they don't really explore yes i mean we have seen this over the seasons of even last season where leah had her party downtown and they were acting like it had been this trek to get 50 blocks downtown and you know remember first season ramona was like i don't go to brooklyn And Jill was like, where do you think Brooklyn is? Ohio? Like, you know, Ramona's just very uppity. They are, they're kind of right, but they're also the most extreme cases of why they are right. If that makes sense. I did, however, find it absolutely ridiculous that Ramona's like, I don't go down there. First of all, Ramona, out of all of them, lives closest. Well, maybe not anymore since she moved, but in her first apartment, Lived closest to Harlem than all of them, <laughs> every single one of them, and for her to have not ever been there in my lifetime is just like fucking wild to me. I mean, she did say that she had been to a restaurant on East in East Harlem, but that's a very different vibe than like the West Side Harlem. So anyway, these women are supposed to dress in like old school Harlem nights kind of way. So of course, Luann is like full <laughs> Giovanni ex Cruella like the Cruella DeVille line for Giovanni um, the the red dress and the black girl <laughs> she's so extra um, <clears throat> this is also our first episode with Brashan, who if my memory serves me correctly she was I feel like she was announced prior to Ebony as a potential new housewife but then things got kind of weird and then Ebony became the first one like the news came out about Brashan first but ebony is the one who got the official bravo announcement and then it just things kind of got weird and it seemed like was she gonna be a housewife is she gonna be a friend of obviously we know she's not a full-time housewife at this point so i guess she got friend of status and i'm wondering like why that was because there was a lot of hype and then it just kind of died down in favor of ebony and i thought that was very strange but um this is our first experience with brashaun i'm just gonna say it right now my experience I saw a lot of people being like, oh, I fuck with her. She's great. She's awesome. I didn't really feel that. I have to be honest with you. I didn't really feel a whole lot. Not really one way or the other. Like, she seems like a perfectly nice lady. Um, I like her husky voice. And I don't mean that in a shady way. I I genuinely did. Um, And that was really it. I didn't really... She didn't really move me one way or the other, you guys. Sorry. Sorry. So they all do, like, a quick drink-making lesson before dinner, but Ramona's, like, asked the bartender, can you guys, can you take a picture of all of us? And then she notices, because Ebony invited her friend Natalie, who we've seen a couple times now, um, that it is Luann, Ramona, and Sonia on one side, and Ebony, Natalie, and Bershon on the other. Ramona clocks that immediately and was like, no, no, no. We can't just have this, like... <laughs> separate but equal segregated picture like we got to mix it up and then here's like the folly of being like should we do like one-on-one no we can't do that like one or the other like no we have to find like a a, a perfect combination so they ended up instead of just lining up together there was like two rows and you know there's like should we do two in one should we do like two whites one black here one white one two you know what's <laughs> what is the most um woke combination of a uh, three women, two different races. Leah and Sonia start whispering to each other, like, dang, Ramona really seems to think to be overthinking this. And, oh, I don't, mm." (laughs) well, at least she's thinking, you know, at least she's thinking. Um, so they all sit down and Ebony starts off by giving all the women a, an individual candle, a personalized candle based on their personality from the Harlem candle company. Um, You know, just different ones. It doesn't matter which one she got. But uh, then she gives everybody a card with a picture of a famous black Harlem resident that matches the vibe of each lady. And y'all, I know what she was doing. But just hearing the words, Leah, you're James Baldwin, about made me pass out. I think Leah and I at the same time were like, oh, I don't deserve to be called James Baldwin, but thank you. <laughs> Production gets the various ladies' reactions, and they were shades of what we expected. Like, we were ex- thinking that we were going to have a fun, raucous night, and, you know, maybe not having a black history lesson at the table. And Tony says that she looks at Ebony as a mouthpiece, and of course she's going to suck the air out of the room to get her word, and if you don't like it, you better not show up, because that's what's going to happen. Clearly she meant well, but that is not a great sound to what you said. Um, while this is happening, they're getting, you know, just B-roll of the women's reaction. And I notice that now over the years, I have developed myself as a Ramona eye communication translator because they kept flashing to Ramona's uh, reaction as Ebony's going around the table and giving little snippets of, who each person is and why she called them that and like what their accomplishments are, etc. <laughs> you guys know, like a baby doll that you get from a dollar store, the ones that have the eyes that are supposed to be like naturally opening and closing, but eventually because they're so cheap, like only one of the eyes closes and it just ends up looking like a scary situation. Like there's a spirit inside that doll. That's what Ramona looks like when she is trying to get out of a situation and really thinking hard of how to do it it's the same face that she made season one when you guys remember this is one of my favorite scenes when alex there was gonna be a a girl's dinner at jill's house alex invites simon ramona shows up realizes simon's there freaks the fuck out and then dips in the middle of dinner so i knew she had something up that bell sleeve of hers so In a confessional, Ramona's like, I really love this lesson. I love to learn, but I wish that I had gotten some sort of agenda as to what the night was going to look like. Like, drinks were going to be the first hour. The lesson was going to be the second hour. The dinner was going to be in another hour. She's getting so antsy at this table. She's stealing food from Sonia. And Ebony's losing the room very quickly. In a confessional, Leah actually says... I'm a little bit surprised that Ebony's not take understanding or realizing that she's losing everybody. Um, Rashawn, <clears throat> R- excuse me, Rashawn speaks up after Ebony gives everybody their cards and. <clears throat> She says, you know, I really appreciate this. And oftentimes, you know, black history gets brushed under the rug. But then she totally goes like, skirt. she goes left and is on some like, we're all one. We're all the same. We shouldn't separate each other. We shouldn't divide ourselves between the black girls from Harlem and the white girls from the Upper East Side. And, you know, I can't stand it because we're all Americans. And, ooh, okay. Ebony very politely is like, you know, I agree. Um... But I disagree. <laughs> I agree to disagree. In a confessional, Ebony says, <clears throat> excuse me, Um, these women already think that we're all the same in all the wrong ways. And I'm just feeling like what Bershon did just completely undermined my moment here. And I completely get it. I completely understand. It. And this goes back to what Ebony was talking about with regard to her feeling uncomfortable talking about race as a reaction to white people around her feeling uncomfortable. Like I'm feeling uncomfortable because they're feeling uncomfortable and it's making me not want to say things or speak my truth the way I wanted to. And so, yeah, I can understand why, like I said, would I have wanted to like sit at a dinner and learn a lesson about anything? No, (laughs) not really. But, um, we should, Bershon should have respected her and what she did, especially because it was Ebony's dinner and not be on some, like all lives matter. We're all the same. And we all bleed. Don't we all bleed red? You know, all that, all that bullshit. No, no. So back to Ramona, she clearly hasn't come up with like a fully fleshed out way to get out of this dinner, but thank God for Sonia. She saves her. So, Ramona's saying, you know, like, I might have to leave dinner early. Like, I'm just so tired, just so tired. And Sonia chimes in and is like, oh, you got that vertigo again. And Ramona's like, oh, my God, like, how did you know? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sonia. That's my excuse. She should have sent her uh, an edible arrangement after that for that one. Um, Then Ramona gets up and makes Sonia get up so that Ramona can show the class um, her vertigo. And how she has vertigo. So she does her little thing and she's like, okay, I'm going to close my eyes. Sonia, hold my hands. She closes her eyes and does the most dramatic fall to the side I've ever seen in my life. Talking about how her inner ear is all messed up. Okay. Okay. This, I mean, this was like straight out of a scene from Arrested Development with Liza Minnelli and her vertigo. Like girl, girl, yeah, we're not getting a daytime enemy for that, for that, uh, production. Just, just so you know. Um, she ends up leaving. Bye girl. (laughs) Bershon talks to Leah briefly about her mother, her grandmother's passing. And we get a little bit of backstory on how Bershon had, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and was given three months to live. And some miracle she made it. And that was 13 years ago. And she's still here and healthy, healthy and happy seemingly. And, just an incredible story that she was able to make it through. Um, Leah is like, how do you live your life now? Do you have like a totally different perspective? And Bershan just says, I just, I used to be a people placer, but now I'm doing everything. I don't give a fuck about what anybody thinks. I'm living my life. I'm just doing whatever. Um, so then that's really the end of the dinner. Eh. The next day, Leah meets up with ebony leah for some reason is dressed like Marsha brady she's got like the two clips it, right at the front of her hair and the <clears throat> like a 70s vibe uh, turtleneck situation and um ebony starts talking about how she was proud of how the night went and it kind of seems like she was trying to figure out it seemed like maybe she knew <laughs> because she said i noticed that Wan wasn't really being her normal you know, bombastic self. So she's trying to figure out like, do you know anything? So Leah tries to gently tell her that the women basically had a hard time accepting what she said and says, this is a thing that I did not like what Leah said. She's, Basically, like, using terms that she shouldn't use, like, oh, you're intimidating, and I would be afraid to go up against you, and, you know, I don't want to go come up against you, and, like, you should just be aware of your power. And that is, like, fuck off. You know, like, to act like her passing around some cards was, like, her being intimidating and, like, basically kind of intimating that the women are just feel like they can't communicate with her because of whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Like it just, thing like oh you know like maybe you should just like dim your light and adjust a little bit so that these women can digest what you're taking that they'll want to be friends with you because right now you're like kind of riding a thin line here and she's like trying to be like oh you know like i love when my black friends talk about race i can talk about it all the time but you know it's not for everybody And i just like i thought that was whack do i disagree with the notion that there should be space to Okay, so, like, we're coming off of the Hamptons trip where a lot of things happened, a lot of conversations were had, and there was a lot of unpacking that needed to be done. Can I understand the desire to be like, okay, we're out of that, let's move into a different environment and, like, get to know each other, and, you know, do I get it? Yes and no. Here's the thing. Now that I'm talking about it, I've come to a, a conclusion, and I think where we are is we're in this sort of like no man's land of what do we do what is the second step what is the second step of after we address all of these tough issues how do we then integrate a an environment that is positive for everybody And I think that is what everybody is struggling with, both on the show and fans of the show. I I think it's like there's really no precedent for, like, what do we do now, you know? And I think that is what's making things very complicated and very layered. Because Ebony does not have... or I I don't want to put this on Ebony. These women don't have the foundation of a friendship to like go back to like we have these conversations and now we're there's nothing to really go back to in terms of a relationship foundation and so i can understand why they might feel like oh this is a little bit heavy-handed why won't she just let us have fun and ebony is at the point of like i will i don't really know these ladies either and i'm seeing how they're reacting to issues with race and and conversations surrounding race and she doesn't know what to do with it either you know and it's just very complicated so at the table with leah ebony says that after george floyd's murder she really had shut down and was like i'm not teaching anybody anything but then she felt like she was not fulfilling her purpose and that she had to do her she had to do Ebony and she would have done the same thing. She would have had the same conversations with a group of black women. Um, so then we get a scene that was like very nice and poignant, but just, I don't want to say it was like a throw in scene because I actually do. I, I liked it seeing this and I liked seeing Liu Ann be so vulnerable and to have this conversation with Victoria about addiction and their family. I actually thought it was like really nice. It just really didn't have anything to do with the episode, but I liked it. Um so like I said, Victoria comes over to Luann's apartment and she is also sober. I think she said she had been sober for about a year and a half at that point. So Luanne's talking about how proud she is. I did notice that she did slip in. Like, do I think I'm going to drink again? Or do I know if I'm going to drink again? I'm not sure. Um, Like, it does seem like she's kind of opening that up, which is, I'm not really here to like really judge anybody's sobriety journey. Like, it's tough. I get it. it. You know, there are points where you think you're stronger and you can do it and everybody's sobriety looks different and... You know, if Luann can drink and she can do so responsibly, more power to her. If she can't do it, great. Then she knows that she needs to be sober and hopefully she has the tools to maintain that. Um, But it's a little hard for me to see her say like, oh, I don't know if I'll have a drink again. Now, when in the very first episode of this season, she was talking about how she knew she couldn't do that. And she it was just like not a good way for her. So that concerns me a little bit. Um, So and I also found like Victoria to be very eloquent and very mature about everything. And honestly, like in terms of, you know, Victoria and Luann's relationship, it's always seemed very like they like each other and they kind of respect each other on a friendship level. But I, I just found all of this very interesting and the way they spoke with each other was um, very equal. It it felt like they were equal um, people. So Luann is kind of mentioning that she wants to maybe talk to Sonia about her drinking habits and um, Victoria gives her some advice. And then they start talking about how it was with Victoria growing up and basically she was saying you know the entirety of the show the entirety of like my year eight to 18 year of age that makes it so clunky (laughs) you guys i just have to say i don't know what's happening what demon has been inserted inside of me but i have not had a proper night's sleep since in several days and i it's showing so just bear with me. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to try and sleep as much as I can this weekend and and be a different woman on Monday. <laughs> so back to Luann and Victoria. Basically, they are realizing that they have had parallel lives in which their adolescence was having to deal with alcoholic family members and Luann I thought this was like so wise and introspective and not really something we see out of Luann and Victoria even said like I just wish that you had been honest when I was growing up all I wanted was for you to this is what I thought she was like so great is that she said all I wanted was for you to acknowledge that Things going around us were crazy. So Luanne says that she realized, and she it took her a long time to realize that her father and the impact that her father and her father's drinking had on her is like a river that runs through her and it's affected her whole life. And she's starting to connect the dots on his effect on her. Um, I thought that was like, wow, that was like, I, I really felt that. <laughs> Like fortunately, i my parents didn't ha- have don't didn't slash don't deal with addiction issues, so I'm very blessed to not know what this is like. But I just thought like as a person who has not had to deal with that, I found that very powerful. And I thought, like, wow, what grace and perspective, and what a good head on her shoulders it seems like Victoria has to be able to extend that grace to her mother and say, "Hey, I was feeling I had all these feelings and I wanted you to be a mother to me. But now that I'm sober, I'm realizing that that you weren't capable of doing that things. And it's okay. Like, I have made peace with not getting the things that I wanted from you out of a mom. And I'm getting those now on top of that. I just thought that was very mature of her. They hug and Luann gets emotional and says, I put you through so much hell and I've made so many mistakes with you and I'm sorry. And they hug and Victoria says it means a lot to her. And I thought that was really great. Like, y'all remember, Victoria and what's his name? Noelle sued Luann at one point because she was supposed to, in the divorce, there was some stipulation that, um, there was a property that they had and if Luann ever sold that property the money was supposed to go to the kids but instead of doing that she sold that money or took the sold the house and I think used that money to buy a different property or she she used it on herself in some way it didn't go to the kids and so the kids ended up suing her for that money so this is like deep 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 like there's a lot of dysfunction old families that I know of, but like it hardly goes to the courts, you know, this, I say will be an actual, um, throwaway scene of like Leah and her daughter and trying to get her daughter into high schools. And it's like kind of Gilmore girls 2.0 of like bunny. Her mom is super involved in Kiki's life and, and basically wants to put her life onto, um, Kiki's and wants her to go to the same private Catholics girls school that she went to, um, but Leah's like, I just really love the public school experience that Kiki's had, you know, socio different races, exposure, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want her to be in this bubble. And, you know, I had to go to school and I had to take the bus home and other kids had to take the limos. You know, they had hired drivers and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, good luck to you, Kiki. Sorry, I don't care. It, more, where's Rob? Where's Rob? Where is my Rob. Can somebody give him my number? If we're not, if I'm not going to be able to watch him on TV, then some hit my DMs, Rob. I'm ready. I'm single, and I'm ready. Our final act is the showdown at Casa de Singer. <laughs> Ebony comes over. Ramona had invited her, and Ramona says that she just wants to that She. It, it's clear that Ramona and Ebony like each other it's clear that they want to like each other it's clear that they don't want to fight and <laughs> as much as I said earlier and maybe this is just me like y'all can let me know like girl call me out call me in and let me know if this is bullshit I'm, I'm gonna say something controversial probably an unpopular opinion wh- in which I definitely thought that Ramona was laying on a little thick in the beginning with Ebony, but now I kind of think, and maybe this is because I know that Ebony has said currently that she and Ramona hang out a lot and they do have a good friendship, that definitely in the beginning, Ramona was like heavy-handed and like not wanting to look racist. She was scared and being overly friendly, right? But now I think She genuinely is like, no, I really do like Ebony. And maybe it's just refreshing because I can't remember a time where we really have seen Ramona really respecting someone. Um, Because I feel like if, take the blackness out of it. Like if somebody had had an issue with Ramona, anybody had had like, not that she and Ebony have had issues. What am I trying to say? I feel like if Ramon, If things had been different, if this... If we're not talking about Ebony, I just feel like she wouldn't have invited her to her home to, like, try and get to know her better. You know what I mean? She would not have invited somebody else. So I really do think that she does... I can't really remember a time where Ramona's been disrespectful towards somebody. And I think what has turned... What started off as being very fake is now like oh no I really do like Ebony and I really want us to be friends but she's trying to go straight to us being friends and Ebony is saying like no we have some growing pains to get through and I think that's fine and I think it's fine for it's gotta be hard to accept but I think white people need to understand that there are going to be times where you're going to be tested or you're going to be maybe tested is not the right word but there are going to be some growing pains and there are gonna have to be uncomfortable conversations and I understood where Ebony was coming from and being like I like you too we kind of see each other but I just want to be really sure that this is a soft place for me to land before we go any further So Ebony and her dog go over to Ramona's house. Ebony asks Ramona how the Harlem night was for her. And Ramona says, you know, like you really took it to another level. And I just appreciated your attention to detail, which is a very political answer to, um, I really didn't like the education and I had to fake vertigo to get out of there, but I really like, we're talking about everything else. Loved the flower arrangements. It was a beautiful setup. You really, have a great eye for design <laughs> and I don't want to talk about anything else. So then Ebony is asking her how she feels about the election because we're in, I guess that like, yeah, this was the Harlem nights was the day after the election. So now we're at two days. So we're talking, this is Thursday. We found out Biden won on Sunday. Right. So, but this time at this point, we were all like, eh, you know, it's probably going to go in Biden's favor, but you know, Lord, Lord, the time and hours I spent watching news television, just being like, okay, what's the news? What are the updates we're getting from Pennsylvania? Oh, here's the election official coming out and saying, how many votes do we have? How many votes are they going to count? How many votes are going to be released in the next three hours? And what is that going to mean? And I'm checking lists and everything and calculations. And okay, at what point can we say that it's too that it's a a sure thing. Pennsylvania and Arizona. God, that feeling, you guys. I'm like, literally getting goosebumps thinking about it (laughs) like, the stress. The stress. So while they're having this conversation in this beautiful high rise, like my ass is like sitting here like, oh, uh, can I take a quick, um, quick bathroom break while um, homie's doing all his calculations on the board over at MSNBC. Anyway. So Ebony was like, well, how would you feel about having you know a woman vice president and Ramona immediately was like I just don't want to talk about politics I I don't want to talk about it I don't I don't want to talk about it and so Ebony's like well we've never had a woman vice president before right that's an objective fact Ramona and Ramona's like literally she's getting up to the bar, putting ice in what looked like champagne. Like she doesn't know what the hell she's doing. She's just like making her hands busy. I'm getting up. <laughs> like, I'm trying to get out of the situation and self-soothe. In a confessional, Ebony says that she made the concerted effort to think about the one thing that they could possibly have in common with regard to this election. And she thought, okay, well the one thing we do have in common is that we're both women. And the, the, she has a daughter, and I just felt like she could, we could find common ground in at least the fact that there was a woman in a highest, or one of the highest places of power in politics. We, I thought we could genuinely bond up on that. I think the thing that pissed people off is that, I mean, could we get to like the brass tacks of like, this is Ramona's home? you probably should not make the host uncomfortable and you probably should not like keep yourself from laughing <laughs> because ebony was smiling a little bit because she knew she knew that like ramona was uncomfortable she's like girl like you could tell she was a little bit amused. do i take a offense to ebony doing that no i think it's a little bit funny honestly like i thought it was funny but it was at the time i don't know i don't know In a confessional, Ramona's like, well, why can't we just, like, get to know each other? Avery says, just peel back the layers. Why can't we just peel back the layers and get to know each other? We wish that we just didn't have to talk about politics all the time. And then she sits back down and she says, you know, after the Hamptons, I googled what microaggressions are. And then we see a flashback of Ramona and Luann... Having their own little white lady lesson, and Ramona is teaching Luann about what a microaggression is. And she says, You know, it's about saying words, certain words, that trigger people who are black. <laughs> so Ramona's like, I want to tell you what I learned and I want to give examples so that you know, like, for example, if a black person were to walk into a store and the employee says, oh, here's the sales rack, or if they're following you around to make sure you're not shoplifting or if they're saying something about your hair, like, I get it. See, can we stop talking about this? I I did one Google Ebony, please, please. Ebony does recognize that Ramona is trying and it seems like she wants to learn. And then Ebony tells her, listen, I worked in news, so it's possible that maybe I have a grittier lens on the country than you do. But if anything, this election is proof of how divided we are as a country because we're sitting here days after the election still trying to figure everything out and that should let you know like we're coming from two there are two very strong sides at odds with one another then ramona is like well no you know she starts talking about mail-in ballots and why that's the reason why it's taking so long and how we haven't had to deal with mail-in ballots before and ebony says but I thought you didn't want to talk about politics. And Ramona's like, well, you just brought it up. And then she gets upset. She's like, I just feel like you're teaching me and preaching me. And I just need a minute. And she's like grabbing at her shirt and, She's like walking off. Carrie, the dog, is looking like, "What the hell is going on here? Why is this lady putting drinks in her champagne? Why is she stomping around in a kitten heel, grabbing at her fabric? Who is this other dog who does not seem to know where they are? It's like the Ken Todd of dogs, Coco is, and <laughs> like, I, like, what's happening here?" Ramona going into her bedroom. Coco's doing God knows what. Some sort of uh, ritual on the carpet. Ramona's trying to talk to Coco about, uh, you know... Coco, it's just been a long week and I just don't want to be educated and I want to open my mind up But Ebony just won't back off for me, Coco. What do I do, Coco? <laughs> so then Ramona just... Something catches her eye on her dresser and it's like, oh, here's my, my necklace with Avery. It's a butterfly necklace and she comes out and she tells Ebony who's <laughs> just sitting in the living room <laughs> waiting for her to stop talking to that old ass dog. I'm um, Surely she can hear her. <laughs> and she comes back and shows Ebony her, her necklace and how it's one of a kind and everybody always asks her what it is, but it's a, her necklace for her and Avery and it makes her happy. And like, this is going to be her happy moment. And Ebony says, I want you to be happy, but I also want us to be in a truthful place if we're going to be girlfriends. Ramona says, I want to have fun right now. I had a really hard week. And Ebony says, okay, well, that's your white fragility showing right now because you have the privilege of wanting to take a break. And then they get into, like, truly top five. I love this type of argument. It is why that moment with... Uh, between Eileen and Kim Richards, the you beast is so good. It's when women get into these hushed tones and they start doing like, you are, no, you are, no, you're this, no, I'm not that, you're that. And they're, they're trying to say it like, it, it usually happens with white women and it's the best level of white women shade. I'd say it's mm, delicious for me to, to experience. So Ebony and Ramona keep going back and forth. And Ramona says, like, I just feel like you're preaching to me. And Ebony's like, no, I feel like you're gaslighting me. And Ramona's like, no, I feel like you're gaslighting me. Okay. And then Ebony says, I want to be your friend, but I just, I can't be your friend if the only time I can speak to you is when I'm saying things that you want to hear. And Ramona says, I just don't want to talk about race, religion, or creed. And I'm just like, love Andy, ask Ramona at the reunion what Creed means. Just ask her. Just ask her. Whenever people talk about they don't want to talk about race, they're always bringing up Creed, and I just feel like nobody knows what that means. What does Creed mean? So at this point, Ramona drops a bomb. Not really a bomb, but she reveals to Ebony that, hey, it's not just me, it's the other women that are feeling like you're lecturing us. So we see a scene from earlier that day where Luann and Sonia go over to Ramona's house and they're talking about the Harlem night. And Luann says that she felt like it was being back at school. And Sonia says, well, listen, when you're with Ebony, you know, she feels like she has a platform to educate us. There's a huge movement going on right now. And, but I'm also wondering like, if there's ever going to be a time where she like looses up a little bit so we can talk about other subjects. Ebony's like, the other women are big girls. If they want to talk to me about their issues, they can say it. And they don't need, y'all don't need to be like giggling or gossiping to one another. And then one of you is bringing this news to me. Like, if y'all have an issue, then let me know. Ramona starts like closing her eyes and doing a lot of like shaking prayer hands about how it's been a long week and she just wants to escape for 24 hours. And Ebony's like, I'm glad you can do that. I don't have the privilege to do that. Does that make sense to you? And Ramona's like, but you can escape. You can. And everybody's like, do you want me to take my skin off for me? Like, do you have a closet? What does she say? Do you have a coat closet for my blackness, Ramona? <laughs> and then it gets weirder because Ramona's like, I just felt attacked and I just i am trying to understand. And Ramona brings up how I want to talk about how EJ Walker was the first black first millionaire and she was a black chick <laughs> and ebony corrects her and says it was cj walker not ej it was cj madam cj walker for those of you who don't know she um came up with like the first uh hair care like the perm care not the curly perm but like the straightening perm and yeah first black millionaire um <laughs> but then when ebony corrects her and says oh it's cj not ej i'm just like oh, don't, why are you correcting me she like freaks out it rolls her neck and like starts imitating ebony correcting her and ebony's like i didn't do that i did not that's not what i did that's not how i reacted like don't say that i was rolling my and rolling my neck and wagging my finger at you that's not what it, what happened i just told you her name was cj not ej PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know... So Ramona's like, well, whatever, Walker, her, walk her. And Ebony's like, no, it's not whatever. And Ramona's like, okay, you know what? I'm going. It's lovely to see you. Thank you for your great gift. As if she's going to leave her own apartment. <laughs> Where are you going, girl? Where are you going? Um, so Ebony says, listen, like, we don't have to do all that. It's admirable that you knew the first uh, millionaire was a black chick and Ramona's like, I just feel like you're always correcting me. Like, you're a teacher. And I, I just feel like I'm with the teacher. And then... And like, okay, before I leave, I just want to bring up something that Sonia said to you about posting a picture of me on social media. And was like, oh, whatever. Sonia just wants attention. She just, like whenever the attention's not on her she, she just doesn't like it and so she said something bad about me you know blah 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 but she's standing up and she's actually wagging her finger in a very like teacher lesson mode and ebony's like oh look what you just said that i was teaching you but look look at literally what you're doing right there. you're standing above me wagging your finger talking about this that and the third so they give up ramona gives up the ghost and she falls onto ebony and she's like i just want to like you and she's like i do like you and you know like we're friends and i it's fine i just wanted to let you know that it was cj and not ej because i know you're gonna tell your friends (laughs) i know you're gonna go to some uh you know trump women boat party and you're gonna tell one listening ear about cj walker and i just want to make sure that you get the name right okay and you know ebony closes out the episode and says overall this was a shit show but you know i'm glad we've come out on the other side and i'm looking forward to the next episode i think we're they're going to salem and i'm looking forward to that does Brashawn go to salem i'm not sure i guess we'll see all right moving on to the night before the trip i
0: called kyle and i'm like what have i gotten myself into like as excited as i was to go i was scared too but i also have my sister there okay I
1: have Lisa there. I've met Erica several times. And my buddy over here, Thank my you.
0: English girl. And... I'm not English. Oh, no, no, no. I'm it. And, and Dori, the best girl. Yes, I'm not yes. English. My husband is English. He's from Connecticut. Whatever. Yeah,
1: Alright, about- let's head on over to Beverly Hills. So, I have to admit, you guys, I was delayed in watching the episode, and so I had seen a few people expressing their opinions about Crystal and Crystal and Sutton, and I feel like I watched a completely different episode from a lot of people. I'm still Team Crystal all the way, but more on that later. Um, So we start off the episode, Crystal's doing some sort of like toy drive, I guess, and Kyle's there, out there in the driveway, and Kyle apologizes for the night before eating too many dumplings at Dumpling Night. Now, this is one of the I've always like found Kyle to just be like really a not not much of a factor for me. She annoys me, but mostly I feel like she's just whatever. You know, is she essential? Maybe. Is she a top housewife for me? No. I don't really there aren't a whole lot of iconic moments from Kyle with the exception of you're such a fucking liar, Camille. Like, she really doesn't give us the hot shit that you would expect from an OG. Like a, you know, even I could regretfully even say that Vicky is more iconic than Kyle. If we're going to be, if we're going to do like a hierarchy of the OGs, the OGs that were, you know, around in the past few years, Kyle would be in the bottom of that list for me. Maybe only Ramona would be under her. But anyway, apologizing for eating dumplings is like, girl, that was the one thing that I really liked about you. That was the one thing that I really enjoyed. She probably only had three, like she's acting like she had 50 and she was tossing and turning at night and, you know, just like felt so guilty. Like she had taken, ripped the dumplings out of Crystal's children's hands and like was just like, nah, 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 mine, mine. But, you know, it she probably, honestly, she probably had like two and a half. And I was like, oh my God, I ate too much. Sutton does um, live up to her promise of uh, Erica's requesting her to pick her up in her new Bentley. And Sutton does come up and get her. What? Wow. (laughs) That was a weird sentence. And I apologize. It was clunky. It was it took you on a lot of turns. I'm not going to edit it. So here we are. I'm sorry. Um. Erica made a joke last week about Sutton. Can you pick me up? Because I'm a broke divorce bitch now. And so Sutton actually did pick her up. Thank you. I did it. Um, so Sutton calls that Bentley, her divorce slash middle crisis car, middle, midlife crisis car. And Erica's like, I'm just like, I I, I don't, I feel like there's a lot <laughs> I'm about to say something really stupid. I feel like there's a lot bubbling under the surface with Erica Jane. Oh yeah. Surprise, Kara. What I mean is this like pivot to nice Erica or humble Erica. At some point we got, when she was talking to Sutton during the spa scenes, she like really dipped into her uh, Southern accent at points. And I just feel like, ooh, I don't like it. It just feels so fake. And Y'all know I'm an Erica Jane apologist, but it was never like, oh, she's really warm. And like, you guys just don't get it. She's a tough nut to crack or anything. I I just feel like she's kind of cold and that is her and that's okay. And I liked that. She was just like, yeah, I'm just not really, I'm not going to be Lisa Rinna out here in these streets, goo goo ga over every goddamn thing that you guys say and do And you're just going to have to deal with that. And that's really why I liked her. Um, But now we're getting this, like, light and bright, fun girl. I'm with the girls, Erica. And I want to like it, but I just don't believe it. And knowing what we know with the trailer that we got from the season where there's a showdown between Erica and Sutton, I am enjoying it for that because I like... To know, here's why I'm sick, you guys. I like knowing, I like to see the lead up to the fallout, if you will. I like to see, like, knowing that there's doom and gloom ahead. And I just want to see, like, the light things that happen prior to that. And that's really disgusting. But (laughs) Sutton does surprise Erica with a trip to the spa. She bought it out. And they went wild. On the way there, how funny was it that a they drove past like an open top tour bus, like the celebrity tour buses, and somebody yells, uh, don't divorce your husband and Erica. <laughs> Girl, if you don't get the fuck. <laughs> um, so like I said, Sutton takes her to that spa, and she gives her a gift bag, and it comes with like pop chips and English toffee, a bottle of incense and myrrh frankincense and myrrh and cookies and candies and sutton says you know she understands what it's like to go through a complicated divorce and it's important to treat yourself apparently to a bentley um sutton asks erica how she's feeling and she says you know like i have moments where i feel really good and other moments where it's really lonely and Then Sutton's like, have you even spoken to Tom? And Erica's like, well, what is there to say? I'm sure he's very mad at me. This is, like, where she didn't really think this through. Like, of course there are moments and there are times in people's relationships where they're just like, I've had enough. And there are times where people just walk out never to speak to their ex-partner again. But this just seems, like, very weird and it just feels like why would you have never spoken to him what happened that was so bad that you had to drop him off pretend like you guys were married get in your car go back to the house pack your shit and never speak to him again because he's an asshole he's been an asshole your entire relationship it just like clearly there's got to be something more to the story so they start talking about how they were both married to very wealthy and powerful men and how they are stubborn and they require a lot of attention. And Erica says in a confessional that Tom can be very mean. And we get to the same flashback clip that we saw last episode of, um, them at dinner with the van the Vanderpump's Lisa and Todd and Todd, Ken, Todd, Lisa and Ken forgetting about them already. (laughs) your Vanderpump rules gotta come back I'm I'm about to forget Lisa Vanderpump entirely um so that dinner that they had with like the couples and Tom was saying something to Lisa like you know you're bright you're beautiful and Erica interjects and says and you're intelligent and you know he snips at her again and says excuse me like I'm speaking this is my turn and it's awkward and uncomfortable. At one point, Erica starts to talk about how Tom was so tough with his first two wives during their divorce. She's like, I would be surprised if I got a Bentley out of the situation. Then we head on over to Crystal and she's taking a boxing class in her backyard. And she's talking more about her struggles with her body image and how she was, you know, feeling like she wanted to get her body back after her second child and all of these things. And how she likes to work out. And she likes the routine of working out because when she doesn't work out, it really fucks with her body image. And out comes Zoe, Crystal's daughter. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we'd certainly met her before, but wow. It, what a debut. I'm going to, I'm going to call this her official debut <laughs> Beverly Hills. And I loved it. Famously. I love children that are terrors um this is why I love Portia um this is why I you know like quietly stand a lot of the um housewives kids that you might not expect and I'm not gonna say who they are right now but I just say that like I like the idea of like a a rich spoiled child just being just like stepping on the scene and being loud and proud and just generally horrible people I really should unpack that, but not not today. Not today. Um, Zoe comes out with one boxing glove on her hand. And she's like, uh, Chris was like, hey, why don't you, do you want to help? Do you want to, like, come join us? Do you want to work out? She's like, no. I don't want to get sweaty, and I don't want to have to take another shower. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, then she starts raising hell. You guys, there was a there was a point where the nanny's like running around trying to grab this child there was a point where she practically had to uh tackle this like how old is Zoe? like five tackle a five-year-old child (laughs) to keep her from bothering her mother and the trainer just what a moment what an absolute moment Crystal says that she and her daughter are a lot alike. And when she was a kid, you could only push her so far before she would explode. And so she tries to be really patient with Zoe because she knows like where that's coming from. Um, And then we see Zoe screaming and crying and saying, I hate all of you. (laughs) Oh Lord. Y'all are going to need to get some help for that girl. But I'm having, it was entertaining while it lasted. Back at the spa, Erica goes into a cryotherapy chamber and she, you know, makes some jokes about how she can handle it because she's a cold person. The imagery of her in that like dark, like cloudy from the smoke, or not the smoke, from the ice, and it it was terrifying. There was something that was very like uh, terminator about the situation but i have to say of all the bravo and this is a, co- a phrase that i have coined a bravo um it is a you know an activity that goes amongst the bravo sphere and all of the shows and so we see everybody doing axe throwing and vaginal rejuvenation and you know we've seen all this shit before I personally, of all the bravativities, I like the cryotherapy because there's just something very funny to me about, like, rich white ladies um, putting themselves into chambers of ice and coldness for really no reason and being like, you can do it, girl. You got it. Like, they're overcoming something. You're paying for this. It's okay. You're not going to die. (laughs) Everybody will be okay. So then Erica and Sutton move over to the sauna and Sutton's asking some pretty good questions. So first she asks if Tom, if she was mad at Tom for not coming to her Broadway showing of Chicago. And she says, absolutely. And she's, you know, just going into full wounded wife again and talks about how Tom supported her and what she means by support. She means financially. And, that when he got this ro- when she got the role, he was nowhere to be found. So then Sutton asks, do you think that Tom feels bad about not going? And she's like, no. And then in a confessional, she says, well, he didn't care at all. And then I had to sit there and defend the fact that he didn't come and like, make up a lie about it. And we saw that, you know, the, her from the reunion saying, oh, he was going to come the last week or to the last show, but COVID happened and, you know, shut down and, so, I mean, do you guys remember when she wrote her memoir and i feel like andy asked during the reunion if he had read the book and she was like no and everybody was really questioning that but she was trying to act like that wasn't a completely weird thing that your own husband wouldn't read a memoir about your life so then come back to erica in the confessional she says you know, I had to make up that lie about him and why he didn't show up to uh, to Broadway and then, you know, ask me if I felt loved. And she is kind of claiming or framing this Broadway situation as though it was the culmination of all the hard work she did and all the financial support that he put in and she's confused as to why Tom wouldn't have wanted to see that all come together. And then she says, you know, I know I don't have the type of marriage that Kyle and Dorit have and that's really the hardest to reconcile. But then I'm thinking like, but you knew that you have been telling us that all since you've been on TV that you guys have in so many words, an unconventional relationship and that it's not for everybody, but you know, like you guys kind of do your thing. You're a little bit more independent than the normal couple and he's working and he's traveling here, there and everywhere. And that works for you guys. You guys have a real partnership and there's a lot of support there. So it would be one thing if she said it's, I don't, I guess I'm I'm not quite sure what I'm saying. It would be one thing if she was like, I, I don't, I don't know why that would be so hard to reconcile if her relationship was always that way. I, that's what I'm wondering about. Then Erica tells Sutton that being in New York for those four months, she was alone. And that was when she knew that she would be okay. And then Eric tells Sutton that she's one of the most kind hearted women she knows. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, Well, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll see where that goes when she tells her, when she threatens her over a dinner table. We'll see. Um, So next we're at home with Garcelle. She's hosting the real and she talks a little bit about how she really wanted to always wanted to be hosting a show But this wasn't what it looked like. She imagined a stage and, you know, the studio audience. But now she's, you know, chiming in from home via Skype. And this is just like not what she wanted. And I really like her scenes. I know, I think a lot of people do. I know people can be kind of iffy about the introduction or how much of these families that we get. And I think it's different for everyone or even every franchise. I like seeing Garcelle with her kids. I like seeing Kyle with her kids. That's usually when I like Kyle the most is when she's with her family. And you know why I think I like that is because Kyle knows that she's a queen bee and she doesn't have to, like, worry and chess play around her family. We could just be, like, she can, she's in her element. And that's what I really like. But anyway, back to Garcelle. She's got an assistant now and she's saying, you know, with the reel, everything blew up. me and that's why she needed an assistant and you know the boys are at home and they're homeschooling and she just needed the help do it for you girl so they're eating some fried cauliflower for dinner which honestly kind of looked good (laughs) I would would try it I'm not gonna lie Um, and one of her sons is like where's the other fish and then we find out R.I.P. Kyle the basic goldfish 2020 to 2020 didn't make it through the pandemic. What a shame. What a shame. Um, I loved Garcelle, like, trying not to laugh when she was doing a sign of the cross for Kyle, the goldfish. She asks her sons about dating, and honestly, they're not really trying to hear it. They're not trying, they're like, Mom, I do not want you dating. Our love should be enough for you forever we don't really want to see you dating anybody and garcelle brings up a really interesting point about being a having kids that are children of divorce of um she worries what they absorb and what they take in and take on and how when one of the boys was younger she was um kissing him goodnight for bed and he Said, you know, when I'm with you, I miss Dad, and when I'm with Dad, I miss you. And she wants to date not only for herself, but for the opportunity for her boys to see what a healthy relationship looks like. But back to the fish. I love that when the son realized that the fish that died was Kyle and not Dorit, he was like, Oh, I don't care about that fish. <laughs> so then Garcel says that if Brad Pitt comes along, all bets are off. Like. I hear what you guys are saying, but I'm going to get me some Brad Pitt. And I got to say, I love the idea of that. I really like that. I, can we make that happen? Who do I need to get on the call? Our next scene, we see Erica go over to Lisa's and pick her up and they're driving around. Another driving scene in this episode. It's like housewives and cars talking about, you know, how they're, children are dating grown ass men but before we get to that um erica tells lisa about how she had gone over to garcelle's the day before (laughs) and if sutton was asking the pretty good questions garcelle was asking the damn good ones She starts by by saying like, hey, girl, um, I heard that Tom was spotted out with a 60 year old blonde woman and Erica is just very nonchalant about it. And it's like, well, it's possible, but I don't know if that's true. And uh, then Garcelle's like, was there any infidelity or a third party involved in your divorce? And she's like, not that I know of. (laughs) And in a confessional, Erica says, listen, this is not the first time that I've heard about him being with women. But listen, if he is out here still trying to get pussy at 81 years old, then hats off off to him. But is that true? Because I feel like, am I hallucinating a time where she blasted him on Instagram for cheating on somebody? Like, I feel like within a week or so of the divorce announcement we got like a really shady post you know what pause let me see where the dates line up with this okay yeah thank you i'm glad i looked that up so we all know that she announced the divorce filing on election day november right so this article from people came out in on december 18th of 2020 all about how the literal title is Erica Girardi filed for divorce beca- from Tom because she believes he was quote cheating on her. And then the article goes on to say that the reason she divorced Tom is because he was cheating on her with multiple women. She's known about his infidelity for years, but she wanted to try and save the marriage when she was performing her last week on Broadway. He left her high and dry and was frolicking around town. Instead of supporting her and attending her shows, she realized she would never be a priority Uh, to him, and that was her breaking point. The split was a long time coming. The lawsuit just coincided with her decision to leave him. So I say, get your story straight. Because we, as Bravo fans, know, okay, sure, they film in the moment, and that was what, you know, a couple... What we saw filming should be, unless it was filmed later, should have been filmed sometime in mid-november right this article is coming out in december so about pretty much a month later saying that she's always known that he's cheated and that was the sole reason why and she was trying to make it work but he didn't want to do it he was out there swinging his little lawyer dingling around you know his little gavel to any young cutie who would um you know let him knock then why here's the other thing is like we know that these interviews are filmed after the fact so our, is production going to call her out on that um at at andy kara from new york has a question and um, to make the web even more tangled um so that people article came out december 18th the erica jane exposing him and then deleting it on social media um all those text messages about him her or excuse me about tom dating a justice justice trisha bigelow or whatever the fuck her name was and showing all the screenshots of text messages that came the day after that people article so again let's all keep our stories straight anyway back to garcelle's line of questioning she wanted to know were you dating scooter Braun and what's going on with that and did you meet him at a sex shop and erica's like you know i also saw this line or the headline about me dating um the guy gleb from dancing with the stars but i haven't seen either of them in four years so i don't know what anybody's talking about then she says something about suing (laughs) for for what for what she says she's got a lot of on her hands i'm like yeah girl you really do you got a lot of a lot of bookings coming up under that docket under your name and they're nothing having to do with uh dating rumors girl <laughs> can you imagine if erica was getting sued for um embezzling money from victims and she wants to sue a, a, a what some blog for uh saying that she was fucking gleb From dancing with the stars girl get the fuck out of here anyway lisa cannot wait to change the subject and frankly i guess neither can i and she's like oh you know um i just wanted to let everybody know that my daughter is dating scott disick my 19 year old daughter is dating a man um quite literally twice her age he's wow we see a flashback of Lisa on the Tahoe trip from three weeks earlier, where Lisa is trying to make plans about, we need to go, we have a family dinner, bring your dad. And Amelia whispers like, oh, I'm going to um, go out on Halloween with, and then she whispers, Scott. And then it was almost like a little bit of a fourth wall break where she hangs up the FaceTime and she's like oh well okay and then the camera kind of like shuts down like okay scenes over like you you knew if she was it, for her to be like oh well i i asked her about it first and she said that they were just friends but if you asked about it clearly there must have been something that you knew but she was saying that she was asking about it after the H- halloween part <laughs> there's too much there's too much going on <laughs> I can't think about this too deep. The line the you know again the timelines don't match up. Clearly she knew that they had been dating longer than the public knew and if she didn't then there would have been no reason for her to whisper Amelia So anyway, she's continuing this like, oh, I just believe my sweet, sweet young daughter who said that they she was just friends with a 37 year old. Like, I'm trying to imagine if I had um, told my mom, hey, I'm hanging out with this 37 year old dude and we're just friends. She would be like, what do you mean? What is that? Who is this man? I'm calling the police. Lisa says she only knows Scott because of the Kardashians and. She's nervous about it, but I think she's nervous in, like, an excited way. Like, ooh, how am I going to get in on this? Erica says, listen, there's nothing you can do about it. The more you push Amelia, the worse it's going to be. Lisa brings up that Harry dated an older woman, and he was actually married to her. And don't they have a child together? I think they do. And Erica says, well, I was with Tom and I was 28, and he was, like, 50. And then, <laughs> and then the Chiron shows a picture of Tom and Erica that and says, 28 and she's like you know she was 28 he's 33 years older she's like you know i was 28 he was 50 or whatever the fuck 33 years would have been which then the chiron changes from 50 to 61 (laughs) which is what it really would have been like how do you girl 11 years you knew when you dated that man he was 61 i feel like that is not something you forget lisa so she's calm about the whole thing but then she says the weirdest thing about how the headlines of her dating an old ass man, a grown ass man, have eclipsed the ones about her eating disorder. And in a way, that's a good thing. Wow. Um, it, mm, uh, Mmm. oh, okay. Can't say that I agree with that for like a lot of reasons on a petty note, I feel like the only person talking about Amelia's eating disorder was you. You're the one who brought it up and you're the one who continues talking about it. Even up until a couple episodes ago where you talked to Rob about how your daughter had an eating disorder and how Crystal had shared that she had an eating um, disorder as well. Um, Okay. I, I don't really think there were headlines But if you think that this is a better situation than her open and honest struggles with her body and her trying to get better, then... Okay. Okay. Was that weird to anybody else? I thought that was very strange. Especially because we know the headlines are not favorable. I mean, maybe they're more favorable to Amelia because she is the uh, jailbait in the situation, but... Um, oof, that's it's just very weird <laughs> very very weird then they start to go shopping for Christmas presents I don't know blah 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 cry 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 Erica didn't take some Christmas uh, home decor from Tom's house and now she needs to fill her house up with like fucking uh, Santa printed Pillows, I don't know. She was trying to act like this was like, oh, we had such beautiful memories in that house, such beautiful Christmas memories, and they're all gone. It's like, "Eh, okay, whatever. Uh, The next scene was for sure my favorite of the episode. Maybe my favorite of the season so far. It killed me, you guys. It cracked me up. Kyle is at home with her family, and she's talking about how having sisters didn't prepare for me for having four daughters and uh you know because they're obsessed with you one day and then the next thing they don't want anything to do with you and Porsches in the kitchen you know being a terror and like i said i mean that to be a compliment and she's telling kyle that her lettuce stinks and she's threatening to dropkick mauricio and you know that's fun for me they try to plan Porsches bat mitzvah and you know, Kyle's talking about all the things that she hasn't gotten to experience that her sisters have gotten to. Um, she's started middle school or some other school that she hasn't even stepped foot on the campus because of COVID, and she's just really feeling bad that there are a lot of experiences that she's not able to have. So Portia and Sophia, her older sister, who is off at college, were quite close with each other. And it was really upsetting for Portia when she left. And it's just been like a really hard time for them to be away with each other. So what Portia does not know is that Sophia is going to um, surprise her that evening. So they sit down for dinner and all of a sudden Mauricio is looking out the back window and he's like, Oh, who is that? Who is that back there? Portia looks and that bitch fell the fuck out when she saw Sophia. It was so sweet and so funny. She was beyond hysterical, screaming like Sophia had died and that she was coming back to life. She could not hold herself up. <laughs> Kyle had to prop her up. Um it, the screaming, the crying, the I can't breathe, I can't breathe <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> they can't hug each other yet because Sophia hasn't gone through her full quarantine, even though she's tested negative. She's like, this is worse than you being in a different state. <laughs> and so Kyle makes them touch toes since that's the only body parts that they can touch and they can't hug. It- She's still still propping Portia up. Portia's still not able to gather her breath. She um, has not been able to stabilize herself. So here she is being cradled by her mother, touching a toe with her sister, just screaming and crying. (laughs) Very, very sweet. But is this how Portia reacts to everything? Because we might need to curb that a little bit. But at the time, it was just hilarious. Just... Mauricio's so high, he's like, what? Who, who is that? Who's that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I really like their family. I really do. It does seem like Kyle's raised like four well-adjusted girls. I feel like if they, if so many of them are adults, except for Portia, if one of them was a dickhead, we would have known by now. Something would have come out, right? Am I missing something? I feel like they're four, like, pretty well-raised daughters, and they seem like a very close family, and I like it. I like that for them. Um, what is happening with Dorit? Why is she not getting much screen time at all? Did something happen behind the scenes that we're unaware of? Like, what's going on? The only solo scene we saw of Dorit is her opening up this, like, big-ass pop art picture of herself in her home, and she's like, you know, I, I... it was such a throwaway. It was such a throwaway. There's really nothing to talk about. Big-ass picture of Dorit. Dorit loves it. Next. Um Sutton goes to pick up Kyle. Sutton's dressed like Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek for some reason with a white button-up shirt and a... a, a I don't even know what kind of bow you would call that. it was, like... Uh, cartoonish. It was, um abrasive. It was a lot. Uh, it was just a lot of look. I don't know that Sutton can carry off a lot of look. She might, I think Sutton really needs to play around with her look, but this wasn't... Playtime's over. We're, we're going to put this one in the closet. We see Kathy and Crystal in another car, and they're just making small talk, and Crystal's talking about how her mom is not much of a chef, but she does make a traditional Chinese soup, and, and Kathy's just... Sitting in the back seat, uh, filing her nails with one of those, like, buffers, and is like, well, you know, you could always judge a chef by his soup. (laughs) Is that true? All the girls get together, and Lisa, at this point, is, like, not even trying to hide it. She is, like, a pig and shit about the Scott and Amelia news, and she's like, um, hey, guys, just wondering, uh, when I meet Scott for the first time, should I call him the Lord? (laughs) Girl, I I just rolled my eyes, by the way. Girl, okay. Um, Kathy, not quite sure if she was joking or not. She's like, well, yes, of course. And also you should curtsy. I just feel like Kathy doesn't know about Scott Disick being Lord Disick. And that's what makes me feel like she might think that he might actually have a title. (laughs) That's what concerns me. (laughs) I mean, technically he has like a certificate, but does she think he's an actual? I think Kathy might think that... Scott Disick is an actual lord. There's no way anybody's explained that to her. There's there's not a chance in hell. Maybe, I, I just don't think even Chris, I don't think Chris even explained it to her. I, I I don't know. I don't know. Kyle's the only one saying the truth and she's like, he's too old. He's got three kids. This is not a good match. <laughs> so then we get production asking all the wives what they think about it would they let their daughter date uh, an older man? And you know, Kyle and Garcelle are like, absolutely not. Sutton is like, I would steal her cell phone, lock her up in a closet and spank her. Eric is very blase about it and she's like, you know, I was that older daughter or that daughter dating the younger man, so what can I say? And um, Kathy's like, well, yeah, you know, I know a little something about having um daughters in the public eye. So, um it could be worse, you know. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be worse. <laughs> and now that we know about Kathy's shorthand, I'm absolutely picking up what she's putting down, and I'm we're speaking the same language now. I got you. Let's be real, you guys. In another world, I mean, it is just a miracle that Scott Disick didn't turn into Rick Solomon 2.0, you know? Um, so then Doree must have been in the bathroom or something. She comes back. Lisa's like, oh, we're talking about Scott. <laughs> it's like, uh, do we have to? <laughs> You're not dating him. Your daughter is. Why are you acting like this? So it's like, oh, um, Mazel Tov, or, or no, like, where where are we all landing on where this is? Because it feels weird, but I'm not trying to rock the boat here, so mazel or nah? <laughs> Kathy. Kathy from under the cor- they have got to get Kathy's mic up when she is speaking out of her breath, because that's where the real gold is at. Much like Sonia Morgan. When everybody's talking over her, that's when you really get the gems out of Sonia, and I feel like the same for Kathy. So Kathy says she She's under the impression that Mazeltov means Merry Christmas. So, production asks her again, What does Mazeltov mean to you? And she says, You know, happy celebrations, love, Merry Christmas. So, Dorit turns to Kathy and's like, Mazeltov is like, Congratulations. And Kathy says, For what? Oh, you're not congratulating me. <laughs> you mean it means congratulations. God bless. God bless us, everyone. Um then Kathy tries to give some words of advice to Lisa, which is basically you know, why don't you just tell her not to buy it? don't be a cow that buys the milk for free? And Kyle's like that's not <sighs> it's why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? Never mind. Never just never mind Kathy. <laughs> um so Gartaselle tells a story about her son Oliver and his addiction issues. And this pissed me the fuck off because this was a conversation Garcelle had spoken about. It was a conversation she had spoken about on camera last season, but we did not see it. And it's also something that Lisa Rinna, I feel used against Garcelle because she knew that that footage wasn't airing and wasn't telling the full story. We did not get that footage until maybe I think after the season was over. And by then people were over it. So do you guys remember when, Lisa was mad at Garcelle because Garcelle kind of was like, do you feel like there was any sort of that you hold any sort of responsibility for um, Amelia's eating disorder issues and how Lisa was so offended by that? How could she say that? Blah, blah, blah. But what we didn't see is that Garcelle had just revealed that her son had addiction issues and that she was struggling with her Um, participation with that so it wasn't like the full story it was like it made it look like Garcelle was just like oh uh, you look skinny don't you feel like you put that on Amelia and you know like once you see that she had actually been very vulnerable in her struggles with her child it makes a lot more sense why she would have asked a question like that like it, it and Lisa really ran with that and she took advantage of that and I really wonder if Garcelle feels some type of way about that because if I were Garcelle I would So anyway, we finally see what she said in the scene where she's talking about her son Oliver and um, she was talking about how one day he called her. He had had all these issues. One day he called her up and was like, oh, I've met this woman. She's got three kids and we're expecting one of our own. And how she was like, gosh, I just feel like Oliver is really, really good at sabotage sabotaging and blowing up his own life but it ended up being such a blessing and how it changed his life and he's such a great father and how she considers all of those children her grandkids and how maybe this could end up being a blessing for amelia and so kyle (laughs) which is exactly what i would have done i've been like well lisa congratulations on your new grandchildren so (laughs) i mean i i I like that she said that, but also it's like, well, you're talking about your experience as the mother, not, I mean, I know that Lisa's also the mother, but Oliver's also like a grown ass adult and not a 19 year old. You know what I mean? So they all sit down for dinner and Sutton asks Garcelle about the guys that she's seeing. So apparently she's been texting three guys and in a confessional, Garcelle's talking about how, you know, we saw her with that dating coach a couple of episodes ago, or last episode, and how the dating coach talked her into joining Bumble and how it's kind of been an issue because she had to verify her picture five times because people thought she was catfishing, but it was really her. Kathy and Kyle kind of tell, like, Kathy starts with saying, well, you know, uh, Rick's, my mom didn't like Rick at first. And Kyle says that she had issues with um, Mauricio's family because when they got together, she was not Jewish. She was divorced. She was a single mother. She was an actress. And her, his grandmother was really like not into the idea of them being together at all. And so Kyle wrote this long note letter to the grandmother saying I love your grandson very much and that was really what changed the course of their relationship because it got them on good footing somebody says well nothing lasts forever and Sutton starts to sing like forever and this makes Kathy call her like "Ooh, Thomasina I didn't know you had a voice like that and we find out that <laughs> Kathy is calling Sutton Thomasina as in peeping Tom Asina, as in peeping Tom meaning she's calling Sutton a perv because of the situation between Crystal and walking in to her room and I found this to be so exhausting and this was the point where I was so confused about why everybody feels some type of way about Crystal so Sutton doesn't really know why Kathy is calling her that. And, well, sorry, you guys. Somebody is screaming, damn it, damn it, outside the window. And I'm just, like, trying to be nosy while also trying to be professional. And nosy always wins. Nosy always wins. Anyway, like I said, Kyle says that she filled Kathy in on what happened between, you know, Sutton and Crystal. And and Kyle says that Crystal mentioned being violated, which implies some sort of sexual violation so crystal says well i wasn't trying to make it sexual but i was naked at the time and in a confessional kyle starts talking about how one time somebody walked in on her while she was peeing and you know it was embarrassing and it wasn't that big of a deal and maybe it was more embarrassing for the other person but like she wouldn't call it a violation and this is like one of the things that really pisses me off about kyle is that she thinks that like well i wouldn't do that or you know I was with my good girlfriends, I would do this. And, you know, if I was getting a divorce, I would have told everybody. And I don't understand. You know, maybe my relationship and friendship with Eric is a little bit different. It's like, you... How old are you? Like, I am somebody who had to learn the... Admittedly, hard lesson for me to learn that we can't just... um We can't have our expectations of people based on what we would do. Because guess what? You're always going to be disappointed. (laughs) It is going to be a very frustrating time for you. And it's not going to be any fun. And so if you are questioning why somebody doesn't do something the way you would do it, it, guess what? It's because they're not you. So now it seems like Kyle is upset because Crystal used a word that she would not use. And that word implies something in her own definition. And Crystal gives about three to four definitions, correct ones, for violated, none of which allude to anything sexual. Now, granted, I know that sometimes words mean things, but sometimes they mean multiple things. And by that, I mean what we take there's a diction, there can sometimes be a dictionary definition of a word but then there's also like the social and cultural definition of that word and i understand how like to a lot of people if they say like so and so violated me that would imply a sexual thing but if the person who said the word is saying i did not mean it to be sexual then that's where we let it go So then we have this whole scene where Crystal is basically having to defend herself against Kyle's interpretation of her word. And this is why I'm confused as to why everybody was mad at Crystal not backing down. I wouldn't have backed down either because she wasn't wrong. So then we get back to um, Kathy's little night of terror in which she was, you know, combing through New York Times uh, articles and drinking uh, Red Bull because she thought it was a soda pop and there was a scene before she went into kathy or K- kyle's room that she went into sutton's room and at that point it is revealed that sutton was half naked i guess uh, when kathy walked into her stumbled <laughs> shuffled into her room <laughs> with that fan and all the blankets and you know sutton's like well i didn't really make a big deal of it and we see her say which we did not see her before like oh i'm naked i'm naked but i guess she was probably like half naked like she probably wasn't wearing pants or whatever Sutton's like, well, I just thought that was part of a girl's trip. Like, you could just walk in. And, like, that is also kind of fair. But also, uh, uh, this whole situation is so stupid. And I just, we don't need to continuously be talking about this. We don't need to be parsing through and picking through words and defining them and and implications and all this shit. Like, Crystal fucked up. She fucked up when she continued to tell everybody the story but here's the thing we all have to understand like sometimes people you know have a dramatic flair when they're talking about a story i don't doubt crystal felt those things that she was telling all the women i just think she didn't need to tell all of them because this is where she's getting in trouble i don't know i just i'm still on i'm still on crystal's side with this Even Garcelle disappointed me a little and says, you know, a violation implies intent. Like, Sutton purposely made her feel some type of way. And basically, all the women say that the word violation is too strong for the actual circumstance. And Crystal's like, actually it isn't if you look up the definition. Like, look it up. Dorit says that it's all ridiculous and she wishes that they moved on in a confessional but that's not what she says at the table and she is kind of sticking not sticking up for Sutton but she's she did say you know when you told me the story I thought this this is really just a story a tale of everybody taking one hearing one thing taking it from another to another level and then admonishing Crystal because of their interpretation of what she said. I think what we're dealing with here is she wasn't fucking with Sutton at the time. She was walked in on. She was naked. We know she has body image issues. She's been very transparent about that. And then Sutton said, well, I don't know what you're doing or, you know, whatever version of like, Oh, I don't know what's going on in here, but uh, here's your jacket. But it just, everything just rubbed her the wrong way. And I think people are not taking that into account that the circumstance, maybe Kathy is, but for the most part, I don't think people are understanding where Crystal was coming from and where her mindset was coming from at that point. And yeah, maybe in the weeks following, there could have been a point where Crystal was like, "Uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been that passionate about it. I don't know. I, I really can't say, but Um anyway Sutton starts getting all hot under that collar and that big ass bow of hers and she says she's getting angry and how you know Crystal you do not want to see me get angry and Crystal laughs and I'm like I don't have to like girl what are you gonna do what are you going to do are You gonna, uh choke me with a Dolce and Gabbana dress what are you gonna do? you can't kick me not with those legs so what's next then Sutton starts going hard about how, you know, I'm not going to have you paint, paint me out to be some kind of weirdo. And Crystal's, you know, you need to stop telling people that I am. And Kathy's like, well, she did tell me that it wasn't really that big of a deal in the car, to be fair. And Sutton is like, okay, well, then everybody at the table needs to agree to that. Because now it's my reputation that's on the line. What, what is your reputation? N- nobody's shopping at Sutton. I've never heard of anybody shopping at Sutton. Okay. I haven't even seen people in the fo- Bravo Facebook groups going to Sutton like they went to um, Kyle by Aileen too. Nope. What repu- reputation for what? How about your reputation of supporting Dolce & Gabbana a fashion house that is largely um, homophobic? What about that? We talk about that. Crystal says something, honestly, I can't remember, but then suddenly starts getting even more little, um, I don't even, like, real ballsy, and gets so upset that she, um, creates a character named Mr. Poppins, who I guess is, I don't know, <laughs> she's like, Whoo, I guess I'm just Mr. Poppins out here, and everybody's like, who the fuck is Mr. Poppins? <laughs> She's like, oh, I don't know, somebody, somebody with glasses. Like, okay, uh, Mr. Poppins with glasses. So Garcelle starts to defend Sutton a little bit and um, say, you know, Sutton would never do something creepy like that. And Crystal's like, okay, well, let me make it clear. I did not think that Sutton came up, came into my room to do anything weird. I said that to everyone, right? And Dorit says, well, my conversation with Crystal was a little bit different. And we see there's a scene where Erica, Lisa, Dorit, and Crystal are in a truck, and Crystal's telling everybody what happened. And this is where she said that Sutton was being creepy. Kathy tries to bring it all in and says, look, Sutton, you were dealing with moving stress at the time. Everybody's dealing with stuff. You know, even the night before Tahoe, I was scared to come on the trip. And, you know, I realized that I would have my sister, and I called Kyle about it, and But I knew she would be there and Lisa would be there. And then she points to Dorit and says, oh, you know, I would have you, my little English girl over there. And Dorit says, I'm not English. My husband is. (laughs) Kyle's like, she's not British. (laughs) But you know what? Can we blame her for the confusion? No. Kathy's like, oh, whatever. (laughs) basically this is a a game of telephone exactly and this shouldn't have happened in a confessional garcelle says that we live in a me too era and that we need to be more careful with our words i'm like okay we're doing a little too much here but sutton says the word violated is going to be rattling around in her head for a little while and crystal's like well i'm not going to back down on that word sorry like there's nothing else to say about it it's done and yeah, like I said, I'm completely Team Crystal. She, I, I said what I said, okay? You guys obviously aren't going to take it, so leave it. If you're going to, I, I I, appreciate her for not backing down and being like, what she could have done has been like, yeah, guys, like, I'm sorry. And, and what would that have been? Then they all would have won. And for what? Winning something that they had no place winning. Crystal is entitled to her opinions. Did she maybe over-exaggerate? Sure. But also what we're dealing with is people who took what she said, heightened it, and then brought it back on her for not communicating that correctly. And I just, I mean, if there are several people who, well, there weren't several people who said that. It was Sutton and to a degree Dorit. You guys are just saying, like, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't have used that word. Okay, well, she did. So live with it, you know? (laughs) It's her experience. This is what happened to her. She felt some type of way. She didn't like it. It felt like a violation to her, and you have to honor that. And nobody was saying that Sutton's a damn pervert. It was weird, but that doesn't make her a perv. (laughs) Whatever, y'all. Is that it for this week? Yes, that is it. I will catch you guys later next week hopefully they'll have episodes i mean when is the fourth of july it's on sunday so yeah it'll be fine um all right thank you guys so much for listening thank you for speaking